I'm going to tell you a story about a very scared nine-year-old girl. Her home life isn't great, but it's all she knows. As this week's author wrote in her note from the author, Abby never questioned the empty cupboards or the constant hunger. She didn't know it wasn't normal to not have toys or clothes. She didn't know that smoke billowing in a living room full of strangers, beer cans, and white lines of powder on tables was not the norm. Eventually, Child Protective Services removed Abby and her siblings from their home, but they placed them somewhere that Abby's abuse would not only continue, but it would become worse than any case I have ever heard of. Welcome to another episode of The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison. Join me for yet another captivating true crime story where physical, spiritual, and emotional safety takeaways are waiting for us. If you're listening to me today, I believe that you have a unique calling to become a different kind of PI, not a typical private investigator, but a person of impact. This is season four, episode 33. Our book this week is I Am Abigail, a Texas woman's childhood nightmare and her escape from hell as a sex slave survivor. Jamie wrote this story, but Abby lived it. If you've listened to very many episodes, you know that I try to keep the details of the content that I share very PG. And I'm still not going to go into graphic details, but I do want you to know that we will be talking about childhood sexual abuse, physical abuse, spiritual abuse, and more. Amazingly though, the message that Abby herself wants everyone to take away from her story is that there is hope. And that's the best reason in the world to share a survivor's story. Abby and her brother and sister were first taken to a shelter for kids awaiting foster placement. She was so confused, and of course she missed her mom. Days turned into weeks and then months because it's really hard to find foster parents ready to take on three siblings. And that's what the kids wanted more than anything, was to stay together. Abby's sister suggested that they call their mother's half-brother, Chevo. Amazingly, he and his wife, Laura, agreed to take them all in. Best of all, Chevo and Laura lived in Hawaii. Of course, the kids' first choice would definitely have been to have gone back home to their mother, even though there had been abuse and neglect there. But this seemed to be the next best option, a true answer to prayer. No one knew it at the time, but Abby was about to go from bad to much, much worse. They lived on a military base in Hawaii, which made Abby feel extra safe at first. She loved the family game nights and trips to the beach. Chevo and Laura even adopted Abby and her siblings. It seemed like they had finally found a stable life. One day, Abby found herself at home alone with Chevo, her uncle-turned-dad. He told her that he knew she needed to relax, so he started to rub her feet. Abby says that everything was okay until it wasn't, and he warned her not to tell anyone. She defied him and told Laura anyway, her new mom. But Laura refused to believe her and told her to never, ever, ever mention it again. How many children out there have heard those words and are still suffering? Maybe even a child that you know. By the time Abby was 13, the family had moved to Houston, but the abuse continued. She finally worked up the courage to tell a friend what was happening to her. Child Protective Services got called, and the family moved away in the dead of night. That is not uncommon at all in abusive families. Chavo's inappropriate touching now escalated into rape. And if you think things couldn't get any worse, when Abby turned 15, her new mom announced that she couldn't have any more children. But she wanted more, 
So she decided that Abby would have them for her. Abby was told she had no choice. And because of everything she'd lived through in her short life, she believed that. What Chevo did was pure evil. But can you imagine the woman who thought it was okay to force her adopted daughter, or anybody for that matter, to bear a child by her own husband? And again, I'm not going to go into details, but Laura became very controlling of where and when further abuse would happen and even began to participate. It took about a year, but Abby did get pregnant as a 16-year-old high school sophomore. Her parents coached her on the lies to tell at school and in the delivery room. They made it very, very clear to her that this baby was going to be raised as their baby. Two years later, when Abby was senior in high school, she got pregnant again. Her mother actually said that this was her miracle baby and had the audacity to say how grateful she was to God. Abby graduated from high school when she was seven months pregnant. After her second daughter was born, her parents' abuse continued. And I know what you might be thinking right about now. Abby is legally an adult. But as she dreamed of escaping like anybody would, she just could not imagine leaving her two daughters alone with these two monsters. She did try once. And she was so consumed with guilt when her mother attempted suicide that she came back after they promised her that things would be different. How many of you already know that they're lying? The abuse continued and Abby gave birth to another child, a son. Now there is so much more to this story. We're going to cover that next week in part two. Right now, I want you to hear from Abby and Jamie. Abby, I'm excited to have you and Jamie here today to have these different perspectives on this story, different input. We're actually going to have two episodes with this story, so you won't want to miss it. And I just want to begin, Abby, by saying thank you. Thank you for having the courage to share your story. And I want to ask you, why was it so important to share this story? Because it had to have been painful, but you made the choice to share it with the world. So tell us why. I just want to say you're welcome. And uh, the, the reason why I want to tell my story is because I want to help women. And I'm pretty sure there's men out there that are going through a similar situation. And I want them to, to hear that it is you will get out of your situation. You just need to speak up and be brave. And there is hope out there for you. That is beautiful. And you are brave. And, and Jamie, you're brave too. This couldn't have been an easy story for you to research and absorb and tell as gracefully but authentically as you did. What was that like? It was a very, I always tell people writing these kind of stories is very emotionally intimate. And it's because it requires for the level of writing that I like to write at me to be so close to the person I'm writing about that we really have to go deep because I don't, with these kind of stories, ever want to kind of skate across the surface. It's really important to me to share their true, authentic experience. And it requires me to kind of write on a line at times because I have to teeter what's kind of palatable and acceptable, but what I know you need to know about this to really tell it the way that it deserves to be told. Abby gets all the credit for being brave. Like, I love writing, I love words, but she's the one who lived this and she's the one who should be commended for coming forward because I know it's a lot. It's 
I think for anyone to step forward and basically talk about pieces of their sex life is highly uncomfortable. And when it's got abuse involved with it, it's even more so. And so I just really admire her strength and her courage and her desire to want to help so many other people by sharing, I guess, a piece of her dark past with them to show them that there is light, that there can be light. It is a tough story, even just to read, but it has so many important lessons for us that I was very interested in reading it, and I came away uplifted. But there were hard parts, and let's let's just jump into one of them. Your aunt and uncle, who became your adopted parents, they were suspected of child abuse so many times, but they had ways of just kind of skating around and the allegations just kept getting dismissed, kept getting overlooked. So if you could talk to someone face-to-face who was caught in a cycle of abuse and they just can't see things getting any better, what would you tell them? Just to not give up, to keep speaking out. If it's an aunt or an uncle or a sister, anybody who's willing to listen, and if they don't hear you, just keep telling somebody tell a teacher or a best friend. I told my best friend that told her mom and they ended up calling CPS and there was going to be an investigation and they ended up fleeing. So they weren't even able to come and help or talk to anybody at the house. Just do not give up. I I know some people are going to have a hard time understanding why you stayed with Chevo and Lori, even after you turned 18. But it's it's very complicated. So I want to help people understand the things that you had to really take into consideration before you could take that step, because that could have been a dangerous step. Yes, it, it could have been a dangerous step, but I ended up eventually getting out. Um, the reason why I stayed so long was because I did end up having kids with him and I was threatened that either he was going to kill me and them in their sleep or just me or I was going to go to jail and they were going to end up in foster care and end up the same way I did and I didn't want that for my kids so that's why I stayed was to protect my kids. Jamie, you had to have been so frustrated looking at the official documentation and seeing how many opportunities there had been to change this situation sooner. I was very much so. And I think what I gleaned over kind of talking to Abby and learning kind of how this happened to her was that Laura was a very smooth talker and they both obviously were very good manipulators. And so they kind of built a lot of lies and stories around the abuse so that they could make things look more palatable that may not be or kind of have explanations for things, especially like, why is Abby pregnant? Who's the father of the baby? There were all these constructed stories to kind of get them around the abuse. And Abby knew exactly what she was supposed to say. And I think because of the brainwashing, I think, like you said, it's hard for some people to realize how you could be in that situation. But it's not like you or I sitting here without this past abuse, making a decision and coming up with a plan. It's that you've been beaten down physically and mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You believe that you are nothing. You have no value. You have no worth. You have no job opportunities. And then you have three little kids. That's a big ask to try to get out of. And I think that as far as the abuse goes, I think the fact that they just fled in various cities of Texas was very disturbing to me. 
and seeing the words reason to believe next to sexual abuse on these CPS reports. And then I don't, do they just go in the file? Does it go in the trash? I don't know, but I can tell you that they didn't follow up as they fled different cities in Texas. And so that piece of it for me was very hard to understand and very heartbreaking all at the same time. I think it's also very important for everybody to realize that the abusers were people who put themselves out as being religious and spiritual and good people. They had a lot of people fooled. And I think for me, as a private investigator, the the abuse allegations, unfortunately, I've seen too much of that. That didn't shock me. But when I read the part where Laura and Chevo advertised your seven-year-old daughter as, quote, the miracle girl, and they built a chapel, they advertised so people would come for blessings or healings and you know, of course, they made sure they made money off of the people that came. What did that do to you emotionally? And how has that affected your little girl? It has emotionally, it drained me because, you know, just seeing my daughter go through that and her not knowing that I was her mom, it it just drained me because I could see how draining it was for her. They would tell her, you're going to get this if you do that. If you're going to get a Barbie, if you pray on this lady, or just little things like that. They, She was like the princess of all princesses. And it affected her quite a bit, had to take her going to therapy. And um, she's been doing a lot better ever since then. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, all of your children, I'm sure... Even though getting out of this situation was the right thing and the best thing for them, that was all they knew. Did they have a hard time leaving or did they recognize this is someplace that we do not need to be? They did have a hard time because they knew them as mom and dad. So I had to say we were going to go on vacation. And then towards maybe two, three years later, we finally sat them down and was like, hey, we're not going to go back. There wasn't a very safe house for us. I couldn't really explain what the situation was, but we we did tell them that I was their mom. They were too young to understand everything. But eventually they, you know, came through and they're awesome. They're doing great. They don't even remember them much. So that's a blessing for me. And you had someone fiercely in your corner, Rudy. Tell me what it was like to know that someone would love you for who you are, you know, in your heart, at your core of who you were created to be, instead of someone who worried about what you'd been through. Of course, he was concerned, I know, but he was able to just focus on you, on Abby. What did that mean to you? It meant the world. He, to this day, I call him my hero. He's, he's always there for me through the, the thick and the thin. And it just means the world for me, for him to be in my side, my corner. Um, he's helped me through a lot. Uh, like I said, he's my hero. Not a lot of men could take a woman in that's gone through this and bring in kids as well. Friends have told him, 
you're just an amazing man for doing something like that. And he just means the world to me. Well, I've got a question for both of you. And Jamie, I'll let you answer it first. What is one thing you would tell people who are listening, a concrete action they can take to help protect children from abuse or sex trafficking? What can we do to step up and and be that kind of hero to somebody? I think that it's just actually listening and watching and seeing if something at your gut level feels a little bit off, especially when you're looking at your own family or friends or children in your life, pay a lot more attention. If you get that little flag goes up and you're not quite sure why and the behavior seems off or whatever it is that it's hitting your gut for a reason. Um, And the other thing is just to try to be very supportive and encouraging. And I think there's ways you could try to talk to a child in this situation if you really did suspect it or potentially the adults in her life, she really did have quite a few step forward to try to make reports and get her help. Um, So I would say not to hesitate to do that and to reach out on behalf of a child. If you really think that there could be abuse, the worst case scenario is you're wrong or nothing happens. But look at what could happen if some abuse is found, that child could live in a far better home than their current situation if you get them help. So just being open and loving and supportive and listening and and really allowing people to start talking and being who they are, I think is really essential for helping them to kind of refine their own identity so they can have hope of actually getting out. And I would say along with DCS, whatever in your jurisdiction, the Child Protective Services is called, don't hesitate to call 911. The more people that are looking at a situation, the better chance you have of somebody seeing the right thing, getting the right information to be able to move forward and not, like you said, Jamie, just put a piece of paper in a file. So Abby, what would you say gave you the most hope? What did you hold on to that that kept you going day after day? My kids, my kids helped me going day by day. Um, that's the only thing, really. And my kids and my health, because if, if I wasn't here, there would be nobody to take care of my kids. So my kids and my health and just find something that will that you could hold on to and get that hope and you be brave and get it. That's awesome. I love that. Well, what are your plans and dreams for the future? My plans and dreams for the future are to get my kids through college. That's my main plan and my main future is to get my kids through college and be there and support them through anything that they are going through, their ups and their downs. They're so lucky to have you as a mom, so focused on them and and their needs and having Rudy focused on you and your needs. So I'm terribly sorry for everything you endured, but I'm so happy to be talking to you now on the other side and to see uh, I wish people listening could see the smile on your face, the the joy that you obviously have in life and in your family. And now I want to ask Jamie, this is the second true crime book that you've written that I have featured. What made you want to tell these types of stories? It kind of was, I guess, fate or an accident. I'm not sure which, probably some combination of both. Um, the first, my debut book was obviously a family story, so it was deeply personal and told my cousin's story and a bit of kind of my, our family story. 
I thought probably I would write a second book at some point in my life. I mean, that seemed pretty possible, but I had no idea for whom or what about. And I knew it would be for a woman. And I felt like it probably would be about rape, sexual assault. I just kind of had that feeling. Um, But I didn't know Abby. She lives in Texas. I live in Indiana. We were never supposed to meet. Somehow we serendipitously were introduced through a mutual, I guess, connection that we both found. And so, you know, when you hear these kind of stories and you have people willing to just bear their soul to you, basically, how can you not want to do that justice and to tell it? And for me, it's always a challenge because I think some people hear kind of what these type of books are about and are like, oh, that's so dark or that's too terrible or I couldn't read that. My challenge to them is just buy the book because I wrote this so it would be unput downable. So you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but give it a go because it's my I view it as my goal to make people want to read these stories and to kind of better understand what people go through and take a lot of lessons about life and different situations out of these books. So that's why I do what I do is just to help other people and kind of spread more light into the world. What was it like to work with Jamie and to to go through the story and just repeat things that that had to have been painful but yet you had a goal. You wanted to inspire people. What was that like just just going through that for you? It was hard at first, very hard. I'm a shy, quiet girl. And just to relive this, the story, to tell Jamie and answering these hard, difficult questions, um, I'm going to quote what Jamie has told me. I was a water faucet just dripping, and now I have the faucet fully turned on. I could talk about it. Anybody could ask me any question. Yes, it'll be hard for me, but I am willing to open up and let you know anything and everything about the book. That is a wonderful way of looking at it, and that had to have kind of freed up something within you, didn't it? Yes, it helped me heal. Jamie was like my therapist. Just talking to her helped me in so many ways. And I can't thank her enough for helping me out and helping me write my story and telling the world to help other people. It just means the world to me. I hope you are as intrigued by Abby's story as I was at this point. And don't forget... There is more that we're going to cover next week. You heard her mention Rudy. You'll learn a lot more about him next week as well. So honestly, it is something you are not going to want to miss. We talked about hope this week. We talked about sharing your story to help other people. And there are going to be so many other wonderful things that Abby is going to teach us and Jamie too next week in part two of this story. So you do not want to miss it. And please share this with people who are maybe struggling with something similar or they know someone in their lives who are. But before we go, before you share it with anybody, let's take our deeper dive into a scripture passage. For our Bible passage, we're going to look at the 10th chapter of Deuteronomy today. It starts out with Moses having to make new stone tablets for the Ten Commandments to be written on because he got mad and smashed the first ones when he saw the children of Israel worshiping the golden calf. Yeah, that's right. God had given them tablets with 
rules on them inscribed by his own finger. And Moses broke them in a fit of anger. Losing our tempers has just never worked out for us, has it? Anyway, God has Moses make two more tablets that will be put in the ark. And this is the Ark of the Covenant, a wooden box covered in gold, not the Ark with the animals. Moses tells the people again about these commandments and tells them they're for our own good. He speaks about how the God they serve shows no partiality and how he defends the cause of the fatherless. Verse 18 in the HCSB says, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. This is a really hard promise to reconcile with what we've heard today, and you know I left a lot out. But remember what I said back at the very beginning, that Abby wants everyone to find hope in her story. Well, this verse speaks to me of hope. We're not seeing justice in this story so far. You know, this young girl who grew up first with no father, and then with a father that no one should have had. We know that what God has promised is coming. It may not look like what we're expecting, Or it may not come as soon as we want it to. That's why in the midst of our troubles, we have to hang on to hope the way Abby did. So be sure you do not miss next week's episode to hear what happens. And child abuse is so very hard to talk about. And if anybody listening has experienced that, I want to say to you that you're strong, you're loved, and it was not your fault. And if you're someone who suspects abuse in the life of a child, please contact authorities. Most foster parents are kind and loving and will help abuse children as they heal. But if you have a story to share about this topic, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through email at lori at theunlovelytruth.com or message me on social media. There are links in the show notes. I love it when people are willing to have these hard but impactful conversations. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time.